and welcome to Faith Facts with Father Howard. I'm Lindsay here with Father Howard, and on today's episode, we are continuing our discussion on vocations. So I guess vocations part two. Let's get started. <laughs> okay, Lindsay, it's it's good again to to connect. And when I was speaking about vocations the last the last time we recorded, is that there was so much more I wanted to say. And no, you <laughs> imagine. Never. Uh, but I kept it really uh, the last time. I kept it in more the larger picture because I think we really have to start there. And I believe that if we don't, we're, we're not going to do that well with the smaller picture. When, and by that I mean, you know, creating as I as I mentioned a seedbed where vocations will grow of all different sorts, which then will allow us to have fertile ground to be able to approach and to fill some of those ranks of vocations when we speak specifically of priesthood, uh, religious life for men and women, uh, the diaconate, those professional ministries. As I had mentioned, they, they don't come out of a, of a vacuum. And so when we, when we have a fertile ground, you might say, to to go to or or to um, kind of use as our resource, we're going to have a whole lot more people. And, and it's interesting that um, a couple of, about a year or so ago, there was a group talking about the um, uh, the numbers of people that who enter seminary, how many people are uh, actually becoming priests. And he said, well, all of them do, don't they? No, that's not what a seminary is for. And, and I'll talk a little bit more about that a little later. But it's recognizing that the percentage of people that enter seminary or enter formation, the percentage that actually become priests, hasn't changed that much literally over the last 30-some years. What has changed are the numbers that enter. You know, 10% of 40 is much different than 10% of 400. True. That's where is that we don't have the folks, the numbers that are entering that show an interest is that when I was in uh, vocation work uh, in, you know, in the late 80s and such, there were always people coming to my door, you know, and saying, talking about priesthood. But the reasoning and such was was not exactly healthy at times. And it's amazing sometimes what people thought they were supposed to be doing. But it's it's just that the, the sheer numbers of people that um, when I was in high school seminary, we had over 100 students in my class. Well, one, you don't have high school seminaries anymore. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, but the sheer numbers of people has has been greatly reduced. That's why I go to that when I talk about the fertile ground, to be able to uh, have uh, groups of people that are discerning vocation, discerning what it means to serve, discerning what it means to, to be of service to the church, and out of that, hopefully, as that continues to grow, and I hope it does, out of that number, you get you know the people who will step forward and say, you know, maybe priesthood is for me. Well, and it's not really any different than some of the Catholic schools around here. I yes. mean, when I was in school at Holy Angels, our class was, I think, 39 students, and we were the smallest class in the entire school. Now at thir- 39, yeah, we would have been 
the biggest class. The biggest, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and, that's and, K through 8. Yes, and part of it is sheer demographics. There's yeah. no question. Uh, sheer demographics. You, you know, as I mentioned before, is that they were pulling busloads of guys from, you know, Racine area, from the West Bend area, from, you know, the um, uh, Beaver Dam area. I mean, these were, you know, school buses, uh, you know, many of them filled with young guys being dropped off at the seminary on a Sunday night and being picked up again, you know, Friday evening to be brought home because they were resident students. And that didn't count the the, the non-resident students that were coming to school every day by the uh, city buses. It, it's that demographics certainly has uh, something to do with it, you know, as far as that goes. But They're where just, are the people going? As far as... Just in general. Well... I mean, we just aren't having as many babies. Well, <laughs> you know? that's true. That's you know? true. Uh, part of that is that, and when you see you see that in public schools too. Yeah. Um, we, you know, there just aren't as many children being born. That's true. I mean, yeah, um, we hit the low. I just read we hit the lowest what uh, birth rate since like the forties or something. Like yeah, that. I read that also. I yeah. remember just glancing at that article. So that's some of it, but part of it is is just I I think really believe part of it is just where religion is today and, and how religion is viewed. Again, going back, as I have mentioned in the past, is that the scandal in our church certainly hasn't helped, you know, as far as that goes. Um, the, uh, you know, so there are, there are a lot of issues, uh, but the fact, one of the facts remains is that the sheer numbers, you know, that that's something that you have to do with, they have to deal with, I should say. Uh, the other thing too is that the whole process of formation and and as we have learned how people discern vocation um how families promote that or do not promote that i mean when you go back not that long ago in our history as you know europeans were settling in the states and such many were either bringing their own priests with them or they had they had a, 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 there was an approach or a mentality that said, at least one of your sons, you were having more children, of course, one of your sons was to be a priest, and at least one daughter was to be a religious sister. That's just almost an, an unwritten policy, you might say. And so when you had families where, you know, you had, you know, uh, five, six, eight, ten, fifteen more children, well, it wasn't too hard to do. Not to mention that going to the seminary was, or to a religious uh, school for sisters, it was one of the ways that a person, particularly with an educational bent, could get an education that wasn't going to cost a lot. Mm. I mean, that was one of the only ways for women to be educated mm -hmm. was with, with uh, religious orders. Or their property. Oh, Exactly. The other issue was for even for a lot of young men who were coming off of farms and, and coming from poorer backgrounds. I mean, when I think about it, it was part of my own experience. I was grew up in Climan. Nobody knew where Climan was other than those people who lived there. I'm still not sure where Climan yeah. is. <laughs> you know, and, and for me, you know, somebody said that, well, did you always want to be a priest? No. I didn't want to milk cows every day of my life, you know. And it's not that, not that I couldn't. I was good at it. Um, but there was something in me that said I wanted to go to school. I wanted to, to do something else. 
And I didn't know what, but this was my ticket off. Mm -hmm. And so I became one of those rural farmers, you know, that, that ended up on a bus or transportation from the Beaver Dam area, you know, where Climate is located around that area in Dodge County. <laughs> I became one of those young boys, like the ones in West Bend that were gathered kids from all over the area, in Racine that gathered kids from all over the area. I became one of those young boys that, that happened to go to the seminary. It was an opportunity for me. And it was an opportunity to go to good education, it was an opportunity to explore possibilities. Um, and, and so, you know, it's, so much has changed when you think about the culture, church, seminary formation. Uh, so much has changed when you start to look at all of those issues. So is seminary just like a title, I guess? Because we still have St. Lawrence Seminary up in like the Fond du Lac area. Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, there's, there's, um, yes, it is part of their title. How much they do with seminary is not quite sure, but I mean, it's, it, they have a great program there. They, they gather school students from all over the, from all over the United States and all the over world, the world. Yeah. Um, how much they're geared towards seminary, mm, there are some questions, but they have a great education. And but so seminary is like when you're gearing towards being a pastor or a priest or a... Toward religious life. Because don't our Christian brothers and sisters also go to seminary? Yes, it's just yes, not they do. quite, okay. Yes. It, when we spoke in the Catholic Church, when you speak of seminary, generally it was very specifically geared toward uh, priesthood, mm -hmm. okay? You were geared toward being an ordained priest, mm -hmm. Um or now today, uh, an ordained deacon. Even with our Christian brothers and sisters of other traditions, is that you might have a pastorate, but you may not be looking toward, really toward being a pastor at all. It might be uh, toward ministering in a particular way with with youth, with uh, with with elderly, with uh, you know those different issues and, mm -hmm. and and groups groupings that are out there. It may have you may have no intentions of of a um, of somehow going on to pastor a parish at all. But for the Catholic Church, anyway, for uh, even to this day. Generally, when we speak of a seminary, we speak of a school that centers in, you know, the religious tradition, the Catholic tradition, um, particularly now in college and graduate school, that is specifically geared for one to be ordained a Catholic priest. Mm -hmm. In the past, again, my part of my experience was is that Wisconsin was one of those states that had gobs of high school seminaries. In those years, you entered in high school, right out of grade school. Boys had, only, right? Boys, boys only. only. Okay. We had our own leagues for sports teams. Wow. We had because you were, you know, in 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 the Milwaukee Archdiocese alone, we probably had more than a dozen seminaries. You were talking about not only your diocesan seminary, Capuchins, Franciscans, Palatines. Uh, you had Salvatorians. You had, I mean, all of these groups had their own seminaries. 
and part of it because of the influx of 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 your Europeans and such mm -hmm. is that almost every group had their own seminary and and we were a hotbed for seminaries hmm. there were just lots of them plus that was just in the Milwaukee Archdiocese then you had your other diocese that had all sorts of seminaries uh, uh, you know of their own mm -hmm. the but as time changed and i would say probably in the 80s and such is that you saw fewer and fewer and fewer high school seminaries one just not as many people going to it the cost became prohibitive mm -hmm. in some ways they just didn't have the numbers and had to close their pro uh, programs down um, so we started to do more consolidating you know as far as whether high schools or you know particularly college seminary programs but even then as time moved on again the march of time is that the college program started to close down um, there are some college seminaries that that still exist and if a young man approaches a vocation director and really wants to go to one they don't encourage it a real lot but really wants to go to one is that there are a number Minnesota Illinois and such where you are able to you know find a good you know co uh, college seminary <clears throat> that somebody might wish to attend very good programs um, much broader programs than even the college seminary <clears throat> that I attended st. Francis seminary uh, st. Francis College Seminary that I attended here in Milwaukee mm -hmm. is that um, you had uh, a very a much more narrow uh, option of degrees because it really was geared toward priesthood. Mm -hmm. So it was first like theology or philosophy. Then they added maybe a psychology in there or sociology. But really things that were, were geared toward the possibility of parish leadership, much more oriented toward being priests. Also, sometimes the the approach tended to be if they're in the seminary we're going to we're going to convince them that they need to continue through and to be priests even today much more so now your program saying they might be focused on on vocation priesthood and such but more and more the stance is is that let's help these young men make a wise decision of wherever god leads them mm -hmm. Um, as I mentioned, over time, more and more college seminaries began to close. And now you had, a, you had just your, really your graduate programs is that um, you then had uh, young men coming out of college, uh, sometimes, you know, whatever college they came out of. And at some point, might be a couple of years after that where they've been in the workforce, they, uh, they've been, you know, uh, just doing any number of things, you know, with their lives is that then they might, you know, seriously be seriously considering uh, actually the possibility of seminary. What I find interesting is that there have been any number of studies out um, that still young men, young women think about ministry, priesthood, religious life, oftentimes, you know, in the latter part of grade school. Then it kind of goes away, comes back around sometime junior year of high school. Then it might go away for a little bit again. And then it comes back, 
usually sometime in the latter part of college, you know, or outside of college. So there are key points. And so it is good or important that that we put options out there for for young people looking at what is possible because you just never know when the spirit will really catch someone where they have that aha moment and and decide that this really they need to explore this they need to really um, take some time and step back a bit and it might be that they enter a seminary program right away they might enter a house of formation uh, for example the Milwaukee Archdiocese has a house of formation is that a house of formation is where you know they might be in their jobs or they might be in in, the, in their college years but they sometimes will live uh, at this house of formation or they will join this group regularly of young men who reflect on a regular basis the possibility of a vocation in their life. Where might God be calling them? And and they are, uh, you might say, they are kind of put through a process where they go uh, more regular mass attendance. Um, they might have uh, building and or building upon their prayer life. Uh, women religious have uh, have these same kinds of houses of formation. I think it is important, though, is to recognize that one size does not fit all. That you don't have a template. Are there some common pieces? Yes. But you don't have a template. You think about some of the women religious. You know, they've had psychology degrees. They are uh, medical doctors. They are nurses. They are pharmacists. They are uh, homemakers. They are, uh, you know, they're just all over the place of, of the type of lives they lead. And, and when they find themselves being tapped on the shoulder, you might say, by the Spirit and saying, have you ever thought about this? Same thing with, with, with guys. Um, we, have, we have some doctors who have been ordained. We have uh, some people who have been formerly married, you know, and are ordained. We have people who have been bridge builders, uh, counselors, uh, laborers, uh, all sorts of people. You know, and it's, it's looking at or recognizing the fact that in the past where you were kind of being groomed from grade school on, that doesn't happen very much. In fact, there are any number of dioceses or religious orders for women that until you have your college degree, you know, you don't really even bother. Some. Others, you know, if you have graduated from high school, what you need to do is you need to be in the workforce for a while. Um, have you been involved in the dating scene? You know, have you entered relationships? How did they turn out? Um, you know, so it's, it's looking for people who are well-rounded and not who are trying to escape the realities of their lives. Mm -hmm. You know, people, as I mentioned, people um, enter for lots of different reasons. I, going back to when I was um, in the vocation field, is that uh, we could always tell when a class graduated from the uh, alcohol rehab center uh, that, that was not far away from the seminary. Because inevitably, 
you get a half a dozen or more people that would be on your door that somehow because as they have come to recognize their addiction and and you wish them all you know they're getting healthy all of that but what they were doing in some ways what they were now going to make up for every bad thing they've ever done for all of the mistakes that they've ever made because of of their addiction and and so my task you know so in a sense you could say yeah let's let's all be priests obviously that would have been the wrong response right. as much as saying let's sit down and let's talk about why you're here mm-hmm. and yes you've had a journey and god bless you on your journey and we want you to continue to 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 live that journey of health and well-being but the fact remains too is that um, it's got to be more than guilt that motivates you to be a priest. It's got to be more than somehow paying a debt. And so those, those kinds of things are, are terribly important because people enter the program and enter these processes for all sorts of reasons. And you've got to help sell, sort those reasons out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it goes back and it's recognizing that, you know, one size does not fit all. Uh, so then you might ask yourself, you know, well, what are you looking for? And I think this is where, you know, when, when we talk to people about uh, their families, and that's where, again, my question that I mentioned um, in the, my last uh, podcast, the question I have of folks is that, and what have you done lately? Or have you asked your son or your daughter, or your grandson or your granddaughter about priesthood, about ministry lately? Mm-hmm. Uh, again, most have not. Is that, well, they wouldn't want that. Again, not about what they want or whatever. It's about discerning God's will in our lives. But it's also, you know, saying, well, my son or daughter is not holy enough. What is that even supposed to mean, they're not holy enough? Who determines who is holy enough? None of us are holy enough to do, in a sense, what we do. It is by the grace of God that, that, you know, anyone who is genuine in any ministry, it's by the grace of God that they serve and minister to people and do so very generously. But what are some of the things that, that, that we look for? You know, does your son or your daughter show compassion to people, to animals? You know, what we've learned about how people treat animals is indicative, you know, of, of, of where their head's at. Mm. Um, do they help grandma and grandma out without complaining, but maybe do so very generously? Are they able to get along with all sorts of people? Uh, and in times, you know, when you talk about rich and poor and people of color, and uh, are they able to get along with all sorts of people? Are they able and willing to try new and all sorts of things? Sometimes it's the most rambunctious, you know, and, and the squirreliest of us that ends up being the, the best priest. Um, you know, a person doesn't have to be super at academics, you know, uh, because there are all different things that a person can do when entering ministry. Uh, some ministries require, require more academic prowess than others. Sure. But the fact remains is that not everybody has to have a Ph.D. or a master's <laughs> or whatever, depending upon what kind of ministry a person wants. You know, when I think about, for example, uh, women religious, there are those who, who serve the poor. There are those who, who uh, are, are leading groups in different ways. There are those who, who are more what they call domestics, taking care of, of others, 
housekeeping, those kinds of things. These are all important kinds of work that need to be done. And so, and there are all sorts of people out there that are able to do that. And so, you know, people say, well, I'm not holy enough. Again, what does that even mean? You know, um, as opposed to being able to say, do you pray? Do you pray regularly? I think anyone who, who is interested in ministry needs to pray regularly. Um, can be any type of prayer, but there needs to be regular prayer. You know, you're looking at someone who is able to uh, have a love for the church. Can the church drive you crazy? Absolutely. Absolutely. But when I think about it, you know, the, the, the value in the sense of, of what it means to love the church, to help the church grow, to help the church become holier. And see, unfortunately, too often, you, you know, the person who is, who is perceived as, quote, having a vocation, you know, might be the person who simply walks around looking very pious. But how do we help them discern what's in their heart? You know, it could be the person that said that, you know, I used to play priest when I was in second grade with grape juice and, and Ritz crackers. Well, that's nice. I used to play a lot of different things when I was a kid. But that doesn't mean I was going to be a priest. I never played priest when I was a kid. That was just not on my radar screen at <laughs> all. You know, I worked on the farm. I figured I'd grow up probably to be a farmer, maybe a veterinarian. Um, but I never never dreamed that I would be a priest, you know, when I was a child. Uh, so it's, it's not presuming. And even when people talk about seminary, again, at times seminarians can feel a real pressure that, oh, ooh, ooh, you know, I'm in the seminary, and now everybody presumes I'm going to be a priest. Well, that's not what seminaries are for. Seminaries are to be places Again, where I, I briefly mentioned, they are to be place, places where a person can indeed study, but more importantly, can discern with the help of others, priests, religious, can discern, is this what God wants me to be? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Not well, we got to convince them. We got we got to because unfortunately those who are convinced usually end up leaving later on. Mm -hmm. Is that I found myself after, you know, almost 12 years of seminary training, I didn't know if I wanted to be a priest or not. And so I needed to leave for about a year and a half. I needed to to step back and say, am I doing this because I'm afraid to do anything else or I just don't know anything else or is this really you know, what should be happening for lots of reasons. Somebody might say, well, you should have been doing that in the seminary. Yeah, but sometimes when you figure you entered the seminary when you were 13 and a half, it can be a little bit tough sometimes to figure out exactly what your next step is when you reach 22 or 25. Sure. Yeah, that's young. It's very young. And so, and, and, you know, again, most would never take anyone out of grade school anymore. There are a few places. Most do not. Um... Most, again, out of college or so. But it should be a place where someone is able to ask the questions and do so freely. Not to ask the questions and be frowned upon because, well, you're supposed to be a priest. As opposed to saying, you know what, gain, gain this insight 
It's just not where I'm supposed to be. Because the goal, hopefully, is that whether you are a priest or whether you are a lay person, married, single, or whatever, that somehow the goal is to be happy in God's love. That's the goal. Not to be forced into something because, or feel you've been forced into something because, you know, you didn't know how to say no. <laughs> you didn't want to disappoint people. You didn't want to let down your family or your neighbors or whatever. It's interesting how even going through the system as I did, a lot of times we knew it wasn't the guy's vocation. It was more their mom or their dads <laughs> or grandmas or grandpas. And inevitably, you know, people would eventually leave. Um, better to have, in the sense, them leave and maybe come back and saying, hmm, as opposed to going all the way through and then making a painful choice. Mm-hmm. But the hope is, is that any choice they would make would be a choice that would certainly be, uh, that would lead to their happiness, that would lead to a sense of well-being and hope in their lives. So it's, it's um, seminaries should be a place, again, where, where a person is able to process all of that and to do so freely and willingly uh, so that whatever happens, they make a good choice. They make a good choice. Um, it, it's interesting. My, my stance has always been that, uh, well, I should say always, but always is a long time, <laughs> has been for a very long time that seminaries can teach you how to be a theologian and do sacraments and whatever. Um, it's, it's the people of the parishes that really teach you how to be a priest. It really is. I, when I think of many of the people that I have encountered, they have showed me what it means to be gentle and compassionate, what it means to be flexible, what it means to be, to recognize that everything isn't black and white. In fact, the vast majority of things are not black and white. Uh, what it means to be a person of, of, of great prayer. Yeah, they, they mention some of those things in seminaries, but that's only the beginning. That's only the beginning. And uh, it's not, it's by no means the end, <laughs> you know. It's just, just the beginning. And if a person is, is willing to listen and to, to hear what people are trying to share and such, it's amazing how you see the hand of God working through so many folks that um, you think, wow, now I understand in a way that I couldn't have understood before. Sometimes it's just age. Sometimes it's just... The, the meeting the right people at the right time. Um, but seminaries are only the beginning. It's only the seedbed that's, that's <laughs> the beginning. Uh, it, there's so much after that really helps a person sure. then to grow and to understand what it means. So it, it's important that families, if they want more priests, then, you know, start with your own family. Teach them from infancy on what it means to be kind and generous and to serve. Teach them from infancy on what it means part, be to be part of something bigger than yourself. Teach them from infancy on what it means to serve the church and to serve others. Doesn't mean they're going to grow up to be priests or sisters. But I tell you, there's a whole heck of a lot more possibility than if we try to somehow shove it down their throats when they go and to be somehow confirmed. Mm-hmm. Um, confirmation again should be an extension of what has been taking place ever since they were born and baptized as opposed to somehow a class you take so that you can do it at the right time <laughs> same thing with priesthood and there's no right or wrong time you know 
guys have entered and women have entered their religious life. Um, you know, I, I know of a dear friend of mine who is now deceased. She entered religious life after um, she did. She divorced her husband. They have five children. Um, but the marriage was annulled and she entered religious life. One of the happiest people that I have ever encountered and did encounter in my years of, of as a priest. What a, she was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful woman. And I have no question she is with God now. Her children were, you know, marvelous, marvelous young people. And, uh, you know, obviously adults with their own families now. But uh, we're so proud of the fact that, you know, their mother became part of, uh, of a religious order. Um, so you just never know when that when the spirit hits and why, mm -hmm. and it's but it's being open. I think that's piece of it too, is that helping our uh, our children when it comes to ministries, to be open to the surprises that God has in store for us. So again, when you talk about vocations, you know the big picture, yes, but there's there's, there's that more that focus picture of how do I do that today. Tomorrow, in my family, again, ask the questions. Listen to what they're saying. Watch their behaviors. <laughs> Teach them. You know, not everybody's cut out for it, but there are a lot who could very well be. And the vast majority, of, and I've said this before, the vast majority of people that I've worked with have always said to me, nobody has ever asked me that question before. Sometimes all we need to do is ask, mm -hmm. have you ever thought about, yeah, really, tell me about that a little bit, you know, tell me about that. And it's amazing the stories that you will hear of where maybe the seed was planted, who they knew. Oftentimes there is someone in their background, uh, a priest, a religious. I think of my background, many of the priests that I knew were heroes of mine. These were great guys, <clears throat> great guys. Um, religious women that I've known, a, a great aunt of mine, uh, Sister Imelda, a wonderful, wonderful lady that was kind of mysterious because <laughs> she wore the habits and everything, but, you know, could play a mean hand of she uh, sheep's head, um, drank beer, and, and just was able to have fun. Those are the kinds of things that really do uh, spark your interest when this person becomes a real person and not something mysterious or, or far off. Mm -hmm. um, when it becomes real, now it's something that you could possibly see yourself doing. So I encourage you know, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, plant the seeds by being decent human beings, but don't be afraid to ask the question either. And they may say, no, 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 I don't think Okay, just thought because, you know, and to be able to say to them, you have, and, and they may deny, say, nah, nah, I don't want anything to do with that stuff, you know, I'm not, and they might say, I'm not holy enough, whatever it might be. Um, and that's okay. Then you can't ask about the pre-shortage. Yeah. <laughs> but it's being able also to say, but you have many of the qualities that I would imagine a priest to have. Compassion. You're kind. You help people even though you weren't necessarily asked. You're concerned about people and about animals. You are, you know, and to be able, because that can also stick in their brains. Because then as time goes on, 
they begin to recognize, you know, some of these qualities were recognized in me a long time ago. A long time ago. Um, that's, I think that's the kind of thing that we need to be able to, to look at and to be able to process because it's interesting how, uh, again, I think of my own background and there were a number of folks that even though I didn't talk about priesthood and even though I didn't, you know, we weren't running around, you know, uh, with hands folded and all sorts of things like that, we got into mischief. The number of folks that from my own background, um, church-going folks or non-church-going folks, when they found out over the years that that's what I ended up doing, they said, I'm not surprised. <laughs> and I will ask them, saying, well, why? Why would you say that? And they would list then some of the qualities that they would imagine a priest, a minister to have. You were always kind. You were helpful. Um, you know, those you were maybe tended to be a little more serious than others, good academically. Um, it's, it was there. The possibilities were there. Whether I realize it not is not, but eventually it was tapped into. Mm -hmm. And people encouraged me over time. Again, but that doesn't happen by accident. And then the, the fact also is uh, my mother and father were tremendous examples of what it meant to serve people, to be kind and good to people, to be generous, to serve the church. Tremendous examples to me as I was, and to my siblings as we were growing up. Um, you know, you just never know. You never know. You never know. So. All right. Lots to chew on. Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I think we'll leave it there for today. Hope you enjoyed that, and we will see you next time.